And this is Dan. Together we pastor Hope Culture Church in Elgin, Illinois. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. I'm excited. We're back in our series, Battle Ready. We, we, were, we started at the beginning of summer. We took a couple week break with being outside and having a guest speaker and things like that. And it's our ongoing series talking about being spiritually ready for battle. This is imagery that the Paul, who's a large writer in the New Testament, uh, the second part of the Bible, talks about. He talks about being battle-ready, having armor, the armor of God. That it's actually God's armor that we put on. Because whether we want to acknowledge it or not, we are all in a spiritual battle. We are all at war. There's an enemy of our soul. The, the Bible calls him Satan or the devil, the father of lies. And he's actively out trying to derail you. He can't steal your salvation. He can't take away the salvation of your soul. But he is after the state of your soul. He is after the health of you spiritually. He is after your family. He is after um, your spiritual well-being. He is looking for whom he can devour is part of the New Testament language. We're all in a spiritual battle. Sometimes it's easy to forget. It's easy just to get remember what's going on right in front of us, our calendar. It's easy to think about all the things of life. And, and then when problems pop up, we're like, this is a problem. This is a flesh and blood problem only. But the, the writer says that it's not just flesh and blood, that there's actually a spiritual component. And that's what we've been spending the summer talking about, is how do we prepare ourselves for these battles? How are we ready? How are we battle ready so that we don't get caught off guard, that we aren't, you know, hurt along the way, that we don't allow him to be successful in derailing the state of our soul, our emotional well-being, or the well-being of our family? So we talked about the belt of truth. Paul says the belt of truth. That's the truth is the way God sees it. It's, it's reality outside of ourselves that there is an actual truth that we put on. And it's kind of the foundation for the rest of the armor that holds it all together. Uh, it's foundational. There's the breastplate of righteousness. It protects our vital organs. It's vital to our health. We need to have that righteousness that's imputed and imparted, that we are holy, but also we're pursuing holiness. We're becoming more like God. And this week we're going to be talking about the shoes, the boots, the sandals, depending on your translation. We're going to be talking about what goes on your feet. But if you think about being battle ready, if you think about armor, you, th- you remember, especially if you've read this passage, you're like, I remember the breastplate. I know there's like a helmet. We have a sword. There's a shield. We've got all this other stuff. We don't necessarily think about the shoes very often. They're kind of one of the ones that gets set aside. We're not regularly thinking about, I need to be battle ready with my slippers on. Like we need to we joked with the worship team earlier, we were like, we need the Crocs of the gospel. But <laughs> Jeff is shaking his head. He's not like that. But um, no, we need to be battle ready. We need to have our the appropriate footwear. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. I want to read our whole passage in Ephesians, and then we're going to jump in. This is Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Put on the full armor. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against the obvious things. It's not against our boss. It's not against our family. It's not against whatever's right in front of us. There's more going on than that. But against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's a spiritual aspect. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. Again, calling us to put it on for the second time. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. 
And after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take, your, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. I love that at the end that he's like, don't just pray for yourself. Remember, pray for other people too. We are all in this battle together. I was reminded as I was reading and studying this week too that he's not listing gladiator gear. It's a little bit different, that type of gear. He's listing the, the Roman soldier gear, which always fought together. That it was more of a corporate battle. That this is something we do together. We need to be praying for each other. So God, we ask that you'd speak to us through your word. God, we, we ask that this would be something that is beneficial to our spiritual life, that your word would speak to us, that your spirit would move on our hearts and on our minds, God, that we would learn something, but not just learn it, we would implement it. God, that we would have the belt of truth that we talked about, that we'd have the breastplate of righteousness, and we'd have the shoes that come with the readiness, the gospel of peace. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Nowadays, shoes are more of a fashion statement than most things, you know? It's, it's something that you're like, did you see my new shoes? Or whatever. Like, we think about them differently. Or unless we're doing something active, then we're like, we need the appropriate footwear for that thing. You know, different sports have different types of footwear. Then you need the right thing. You need it fitting right. You don't want to run around on a, a tennis court with, like, cleats on. But you do need cleats when you're playing football. Like, you need the appropriate footwear for the occasion. We need, spiritually, the appropriate footwear. We need to be wearing the right thing as we go to battle. So I was thinking about this, and I thought about The Sandlot. Who's seen that movie, The Sandlot? Most of you. It's a classic. If you haven't, check it out. Make it part of your summer bucket list. It's a good one. It's like 30 years old now, which I'm like, how is that possible? But do you guys remember the specific shoes that Benny puts on? Guaranteed to make him run faster and jump higher. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? You're, PF Flyers. PF Flyers. That's what I'm talking about. That is some good product placement. If you can remember <laughs> what shoes Benny's putting on. But he, do you guys remember what that's like as a kid where you're like, these shoes will actually make me faster. My boys currently think that. Like Matthias will get a new pair of shoes and he's like, look how fast I am. There's something about it that's just so fun. But shoes serve a purpose. That you need the appropriate footwear for whatever you're about to do. You need to, to have the right thing on your feet. And he says in verse 15, And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. This is the most wordy one. It's like belt of truth. Breastplate of righteousness. We know what the armor is and we know what the thing is. But this one's like a whole phrase. Your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. I have a picture of what um, some of the Roman sandals would look like. And this is why it's confusing. People are like, are they sandals? Are they shoes? Are they boots? Some of them went even higher than this, like all the way up to the top of their calves. Um, and they had those things in the bottom. You see those? Those were uh, hobnails. What they would do is they would pound a nail through and then break it off so that they were basically like cleats. 
They could dig into the ground. And what they would do is it, it provided them with a few different things. It provided them with stability, with mobility, and adaptability. It allowed them to be stable, to stand their ground, to not be pushed back. Like think of an offensive lineman. He's like got his cleats dug in and he's in position. He's not going anywhere. It, it allows you to move quicker. Like we've got a softball game, church softball, like this afternoon, and the guys who have cleats have a little bit of an advantage. You're moving a little faster. You're able to adapt to different terrains. Adaptability is being able to move into different circumstances and being able to adjust to it. That's what shoes do. That's what these boots do. As you put on these, like remember, Paul's writing this from prison. Paul's the guy who wrote this letter to the Ephesians and he's writing it and there's a Roman soldier outside that he's able to look at and he's drawing from their armor analogies of what it looks like to be prepared for spiritual battle. And so as he's looking at the boots, He's like, there's a readiness that comes with that. There's a preparedness, depending on your translation, that you're ready, that you're able to be standing firm, stable, that you're able to be quick to move, and that you're able to adapt to different circumstances. That's what the physical thing does. That's like the breastplate, it physically protects our organs. The shoes give you the ability to do these three things. And we're going to look at that a little bit closer, and then we're going to talk about what does that mean spiritually. So really quick, the overview is that stability is that standing firm. You guys probably heard it when we read the passage. He says it four times in the first four verses. It's right here on the screen. Verse 10, he says, take your stand. Um, And then in verse 13, he says, able to stand. And then he says again at the end of it, to stand. Do you have the one where it's like there's a few of them in orange? Yeah, this one. See, now you can see all of them together. He's like, so that you can take your stand, stand your ground, to stand. And then verse 14, again, stand firm. Do you think there's something Paul's trying to get across? Yeah, it's pretty obvious. You guys are like, all right, we get it. Stand firm. You can't do that without shoes that are proper. You can't do that without the stability that comes from the right footwear. It gives you stability. Some of us have been knocked off balance because of what the enemy's been doing in our life. We've been knocked off balance of where we're supposed to be. We've been caught off guard. We weren't prepared. We weren't ready. There was something that came up at work. There was a a diagnosis that we got or a prognosis. And there's something that just happened in our life spiritually. There's something going on with our family that's feeling like it's being pulled apart. There's a spiritual attack that came that we weren't ready for and we were caught off guard. We weren't standing firm. We're flat on our back. We're off balance. We're not ready to stand our ground. Standing firm occurs throughout the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that the, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I love this. this. This is a different letter that Paul's writing to a different church, but he's like, let nothing move you. Stand your ground. Stand firm. Keep doing what you're doing, even when it doesn't feel easy even when your circumstances change. Keep doing it because it's not in vain. Stand firm. The gospel shoes give you the ability to stand firm. They give you stability. The second thing they do is they give you mobility. They allow you to move the way that you need to move. If you're a soldier, you need to be able to move when you need to move and you need to be able to stand firm when you need to stand firm. You need to be ready to engage and step into action, into the battle, having the right 
footwear. This is why we have an action part of our mission statement. Take your next step in following Jesus. There's movement. The whole idea of church being a gathering of people following God is movement oriented. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Who's on offense and defense there? Who's moving? Gates are a defense mechanism. That's what hell has or Hades has, depending on your translation. And he's saying, I will build my church and the gates won't stand against us. We are moving forward. We need mobility. We're called to be on assignment. And the third thing is adaptability. That's the ability to adjust to different environments and circumstances. These sandals, if it was cold, if they're in a specific area that was cold at a specific time of year, they would put socks on underneath. Most of the time it was hot, which is why they were open, strapped like that. Um, But they could adjust to different things. They had stability, mobility, and adaptability. It says, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. That leaves us the question, though, all right. We need spiritually those boots. We need those shoes, those sandals, whatever you want to call them. We need that. Just like we need the belt of truth, just like we need the breastplate of righteousness. But how do we put it on? How do we actually step into those and lace them up so that we can stand firm, so that we can move when we're called to move, so that we can adapt when we need to? I love, I love the way this is worded. I have put up two other translations. The ESV says, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Or the New Living Translation says, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Do you notice how all of them, when it refers to what's going on with your feet, there's an aspect of, of ready or prepared that's what those do. They help you be prepared to do all of those three things. Be, be mobile, stable, and adaptable. They allow you to do that. You're prepared for that. But that preparation comes from the gospel of peace. It comes from the gospel of peace. If you want to be able to stand when the enemy is attacking you, if you don't want to be caught off guard, if you want to be thrown into a turmoil every time something happens, if you would like a little more peace in your life, if you want to be prepared for those things, it involves understanding the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. It makes you wonder, like, is that different than the actual gospel? Is there like a gospel of everything? Is there, are all of these different things? And what I want to do is I want to take those three things we just talked about, boots offering, and talk about how the gospel gives us those same things. And the peace is a result of that every time. The first one is stability. That when we understand the gospel, we understand that it gives us peace with God. There is nothing better than knowing you have peace with God. There, many of us, if we grew up in a religious environment but didn't understand the fullness of the invitation of the gospel, we were constantly feeling like we weren't measuring up. Maybe you still feel like that. Maybe you feel regular condemnation or shame or just, ah, I didn't do that or I should have done that. Conviction is good. That's from the Holy Spirit. But we're not supposed to live in a place of constantly wondering, where do I stand with God? Is he like my dad? Is he mad at me because I did that or didn't do that? Is he like my dad and absent? Is he like, you know, what, what, how am I supposed to understand what it looks like to have peace 
with God. It means you're not swayed easily. It means that you have your foundation built on him, that your foundation isn't your circumstances that change in and out of season. Your foundation is on him. And this is what it says in Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, and we talked about this with the breastplate of righteousness, justified through faith means that as you put your faith and trust in Jesus and what he's done for you, you are made just as if you had never sinned. In the way he views you, you are completely forgiven. Look at what it says. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. I like to think of grace as an actual place that I am standing in with God. That it's like a secret room you get invited to and faith is the door. And once you step through that door, everything changes. You have peace with God. That there is nothing between you and him. Because this is the reality, is that we are separated from God because of our own brokenness and sinfulness. That we've all done things that have broken the Father's heart and that we've done things naturally and followed our own way to different extents and in different ways. But we've all done it. And because of that, we have separation from the love of the Father. We have separation from the nearness of his spirit. We have separation from him. But the invitation is back to peace back to reconciliation, back to nearness with the Lord. And when we have peace with God and we understand that, when we're regularly preaching to ourselves the gospel, the gospel is something you never outgrow. The gospel is something for every day. For, for the next 50 years of your life, you need the gospel to be reminded that I have forgiveness with the Lord. I have peace with God. I am made right. Because when you have that, it changes your perspective. It really does. But it's easy to forget. I can't help but think of the famous hymn, It Is Well. It Is Well. I'm going to read some of the lyrics. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Maybe, one, maybe somebody's in that season or you're coming out of that season where it just feels like sorrows are like sea billows. They just keep coming. Whatever my lot, Thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And then he goes on in the next verse and he, he says, Though Satan should buffet, which is not buffet, it's different. If you've ever saying it, don't say buffet. They're very similar words. They're two different things though. Buffet is like striking. He's like, even if Satan keeps hitting me, if I keep getting punched, this is like spiritual battle imagery. Though trials should come. Let this blessed assurance control. He's like, when I'm under physical problems, when I have sorrows, verse 1, or when I have spiritual problems, verse 2, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. Because of that, he sings, it is well, it is well with my soul. The writer of this psalm experienced extreme tragedy losing his daughters in a shipwreck. And it's after that that he is still able to say, it is well with my soul. Whatever's going on in my life, and it's, it's not because everything's going well in my life. It's actually going pretty terribly, but I have peace in my soul. 
Verse 3, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. That's a powerful verse that's in that hymn that's that's powerful to, to think whatever I'm facing in life whatever I'm facing spiritually whatever's come against me I know that my sin is dealt with and I have peace with God and therefore I can say it is well with my soul it gives us stability the gospel provides peace with God which gives us stability to stand up to what's going on around us. It's peace that surpasses understanding. Think about that for a second. Peace that is beyond what actually would make sense. Philippians 4 says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God. It's actually from him. It's his, which, tr- which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. I need that. My guess is you do too. That we need the actual peace of God. And then the writer goes on and and explains that actually we're supposed to set our mind on things above. This is how we should be thinking. And then he goes beyond saying just the peace of God. He says the God of peace will be with you. There's something special that happens when God's peace and the God of peace is near you. It guards your heart and mind. That you can go through things that should actually shake you up, but still be standing firm. That you can say, it is well with my soul. I have peace. I'm able to stand. When I lost my job, I didn't lose my mind. When I got that bad prognosis, I still have peace like a river. When I'm blamed for something that I didn't do, there is still calm in my soul. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. We're called to peace, but we're actually supposed to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. That word for rule in Greek is actually where we get our word umpire in English, and it's the idea of making the call. It's let the peace of Christ make the call in your life. When it's saying let it rule, it's, it's a conscious decision to say, if he's saying I can withstand this and have peace in the middle of this, I'm, I'm going to have peace. It's not going to be my own. It's going to be from him. It's going to be a fruit of his Holy Spirit, and it's going to be the peace of God that guards my heart and mind. It's going to surpass what I can think. It's going to transcend my understanding, and it's going to give me a firm foundation. We need that, church. We are in a spiritual battle and we will be knocked off our feet if we don't understand the gospel of peace and that we have peace with God and regularly preach ourselves the gospel. The world offers peace. It's just temporary. It doesn't last. And it's always from the outside in. The difference with the peace God offers is from the inside out. And it lasts. It gives us stability. The second thing the gospel offers and calls us to is mobility. Not only do I have peace with God, I'm called to share the peace of God. It's a free gift that I've received, and now I am freely telling everybody about it because it's changed my life. 
I'm not the same. I'm inviting others to it. Jesus shares a story that's an analogy. It's a parable where he says there's somebody throwing a banquet and he tells them, go out into the streets and invite everybody in. That there's an active participation to invite. This is the Great Commission. Therefore, go make disciples. That there's a mobilizing that happens when we understand the gospel. And what happens is when we think about evangelism, when we think about sharing the good news, when we think about telling other people about Jesus, we sometimes feel a few different things. Maybe we feel guilt because we're like, we should probably be doing that more. Or maybe we feel like it's just, it feels weird. It feels like multi-level marketing. You're like, it's like Tupperware or essential oils or like, it just feels like what I, but it's not. There is a big difference between being recruited and passing something on like multi-level marketing and being an announcer or a herald. That's no strings attached. I'm just telling you the good news. That is what it looks like to share the gospel. It's just an announcement of the good news. It's a declaration that God cares about you and that you can have peace from God like I have peace with God. The the passage in Isaiah that I'm sure Paul had in his mind when he quoted this, he quotes another part in the New Testament in Romans. He talks about um, quoting this passage, so we know he knows it well. And it's in Isaiah 52. He says this in verse 7, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring the good news, who proclaim peace. If you're sharing the good news with somebody, don't forget that part of that is the peace of God that goes with it who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation. Think about this. When Jesus is born, what we celebrate on Christmas, the the angels say, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. That this is a, a, a new covenant of peace. That this is something that we're called to, that we're a part of, that we're mobilized into. 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We don't just see them through our natural eyes. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Focus on verse 18 for a second. He reconciled us to himself through Christ, and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That we've been brought into relationship with God and are called to then go and do the same. Reconciliation is a hint at the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom is peace. But it's more than just peace as we think of it, where it's the absence of problems. It's completeness. It's wholeness. When they rebuilt the temple or rebuilt the wall or any of those Old Testament stories, they would have, at the end, it was shalom. It was completed and restored. It was the way it was intended to be. That the ministry of reconciliation is about peace with God. And we're called to peace with God and then we're called to be peacemakers. That's different than peacekeepers. That's in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers. Those who are actively going out. And it's both in the gospel reconciling people to God, but it's also just the tangible reconciling people to each other. Living a life that represents that peace and inviting others into it. The gospel of peace gives us stability. 
It helps us not to base our peace on our changing circumstances, but on our peace with God. It gives us mobility in that it calls us to go and, and invite others into that, saying, you, you can have this too. You can be reconciled to God. And it also calls us to adaptability. This idea that we can change with the person we're talking to and change with our circumstances. We're not changing the message. Paul says, I become all things to all people that by all means I might win some. He's like, I'm going to do whatever I can to share the good news with a variety of people in a variety of ways, but it's always going to be the good news I'm sharing. And we're called to do the same when it comes to the gospel and when it comes with peace. Romans 12.8 is a great takeaway for us this morning. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, that is all of us personally. Don't look at your neighbor. Don't look at somebody else and say you. Say me. If it is possible, as far as it depends on me, live at peace with everyone. So often, we're willing to do this for a little bit until they hurt us, until they do something, until it's, well, they haven't responded this way, or they aren't willing to do this, or they won't do that. It's saying, hey, stop focusing on what they're doing. That's out of your control. Focus as far as it depends on you. As much as it's in your control, you can't control them. You can't make them have peace with you. But as much as you can do, make sure you're doing it. As far as it depends on you. Colossians 3.13, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. That's not our favorite verse. (laughs) Make allowance for each other's faults. We want people to make allowance for our faults. We don't love to make allowance for other people's faults. Everybody makes mistakes. Like, I'm sorry, I did not mean to. That was unintentional when I did that. But when you did that, I'm not going to make any room for that. How could you do that to me? Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive one, anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. That there's this idea that we are called to live at peace with the body of Christ and with the world at large as far as it depends on us. The gospel calls us to live as Christ lived. To display that forgiveness and that peace and that willingness to reconcile with anybody doesn't necessarily mean that we make the relationship exactly what it was beforehand. I'm not telling you to get back into a toxic relationship, but I am telling you that as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. That you've done your part. That you aren't just checked out. That you aren't just pushing that away. That we're saying, God, you provide stability through your gospel. That I can be unwavering because I have peace with you. When, when everything around me, when sorrows like sea billows come, when Satan may buffet, when everything is happening, it is well with my soul. It provides mobility. It, it tells me that I need to share this good news. That it's an invitation. That it's a, hey, come, see what the Lord has done for me. I'm inviting you into the same peace. And it provides adaptability saying, I can live at peace with other people because God has done that for me. Are your feet prepared? Are they ready? It's not something that you put on when the attack comes. It's already too late. It's have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. It's regularly remembering these things. That peace gives you stability. It causes you to share the gospel and to live at peace with others, to reconcile and make things right. God, I pray that you would speak to us. God, whichever 
part of that you're highlighting to us, or if there's more than one, God, would we remember that we have peace with you? God, that we are completely forgiven. If we've put our trust in Christ, that if we believe he is Lord, that he, you, we are made right with you. Would that be our foundation? Would we find peace in that? Would we prioritize that as the thing we measure? God, we pray that you would help us not to be motivated by guilt, but to be motivated by love and invite other people into the grace you offer, into the peace of the gospel, into reconciliation with you. God, as we've been reconciled to you, you've called us to the ministry of reconciliation. Would you mobilize us into it? Would you give us a burden and a passion? Would you give us eyes to see the opportunities? God, we pray that we would be adaptable and that we would do our part to live at peace with others. That, that we would make sure at the end of the day we can say, I did everything I could, everything I knew how. Lord, would we pray? Would we love? Would we forgive? God, would we be ready with the gospel of peace? We pray this in your name. Amen. You can't experience that shalom, that peace that comes from the inside out, not from the outside in, unless you do have a relationship with God. Unless you've actually taken the good news of the gospel for yourself. Paul says it's a free gift. But all gifts have to be received and opened for you to experience the benefits of it. And that free gift comes by, through faith, by grace. That you step into that room where you're made right with God through the door of faith saying, I believe that I have fallen short of God's standard. That I've made mistakes and sinned against God. I've missed the mark of his holiness. But I believe that Jesus came and lived the life I couldn't, died on the cross and rose on the third day for me that he took my place and that he offers his righteousness for my sin, that he offers to trade and that everything changes in that moment, that you're saying, I choose to follow you now. That's all repentance is, is saying, I'm changing direction and following Jesus. You will find a different level of peace when you do that. If there's anybody in the room or watching online who's never made that decision, I encourage you to do that today. Reach out, talk to one of us. We'd love to pray with you and encourage you as you start your journey of following Christ. Saying, I want to change direction. I want to follow him. I need the peace of God. I need, I need peace with God. That there's been a separation, that I don't have the relationship with him because I haven't put my faith in him. I want to pray for those people. God, we pray that you would, you would help them to step into the family of faith. God, that your spirit would minister to them and that they would acknowledge their need of you and confess that you are Lord and that they want to live for you. God, and I pray that that would produce good fruit in their life, that you would fill them with their spirit, with your spirit as a down payment and that you would help them to, to persevere and live the life you're calling them to live in Jesus' name. God, we love you and we turn our attention to you. Would you help us to be prepared and not caught off guard for the spiritual battles in front of us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear about what God is doing in your life. To share your story or a prayer request, simply hit contact on our website. You can also support the ministry of Hope Culture Church by visiting hopeculturechurch.com slash give. We hope you have a great week.